It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Wait, what is that guy doing in the alleyway? Fred Rogers seemed to be born with a single mission, to educate, motivate, and uplift the children of his era to become better citizens through the power of television. His show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, was one of the earliest programs to withstand the loud, active children's shows of the 1960s, with his slow show pacing and gentle teachings using the land to make believe. His values and beliefs remain more pertinent than ever in an uncertain time prior to a new election, and I feel we all should learn about the kindness, mindfulness, and empathy that is badly needed in these times. What would Fred say about the main players of the year 2020 if he were still alive? Sadly, he passed away in 2003 with one month shy of his 75th birthday, leading the way for those inspired by his message. Here to talk about the legacy of Fred Rogers is Pam Dyson, a retired play therapist currently living in Nashville, Tennessee. She used some of Fred's findings in her practice and still continues to be a fan to this day by sharing her philosophies with her grandchildren. She also used them in her parenting as she raised her daughter, Emily, and her son, yours truly. On today's episode, we cheeky chat about our favorite Fred Rogers philosophies, our reactions to the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, what Mr. McFeely is up to these days, and so much more. A speedy delivery of an episode begins right now, darlings and gal pals. Now, won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> Welcome back to a new episode, darlings and gal pals. It's your pal, Sparkle Sid. And today I have the person who introduced me to the world of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Fred Rogers. And that person is my own mother, Pam Dyson. Welcome to the show, Pam. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm so excited to be here today and to talk about all things Fred Rogers. Mm, yeah. And now you are uh, recently retired as a play therapist. Can you talk to me about what you did when you were a play therapist and what a play therapist does to those who don't know? Yes. I'm a licensed professional counselor supervisor and I'm a registered play therapist supervisor, which means I have a master's degree in counseling. I'm licensed in two states, but not currently uh, seeing clients, but I still do a lot of work with therapists who do work with uh, clients, especially children. A play therapist is someone who uses toys and play materials to help children express their feelings, play out maybe uh, events that have happened to them that maybe have been traumatizing or confusing, children who are struggling with their emotional regulation, maybe somebody close to them died, maybe the parents are getting divorced, maybe they're just dealing with all the craziness that goes on in our world and they're really struggling on a day-to-day basis. So someone like me, who's trained in being a therapist and who understands children from a developmental perspective, can work with a child one-on-one in a room with these toys and materials to help them work through whatever it is that might be troubling them, helping them get a grasp on their emotions, their feelings. Um, It's a safe place for them to be, to play out all of those things. And I'm there to listen, pay attention, really understand what the child is experiencing from the child's perspective. Then I can take that information to help the caregivers, the parents, the teachers, whoever are the important, significant adults in their life, help them to help the child. So it's really working with the whole family. So I've done that for a number of years. I was a second career therapist. Prior to that, I taught early childhood 
for a number of years. So that child development background was so helpful there. So when I transitioned into being a child therapist, it really was a nice, easy progression for me because you really got to understand and get kids if you want to really be able to help them. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when uh, growing up, when you were going to get your master's to pursue this uh, goal of your in your life, which is really exciting for you. Um, I remember you were you were kind of learning more about the um, cut and dry psychology perspective of children's psychology and what was learned in textbooks that you had had to read for classes and stuff. But one of the tactics that you can use that is something that's not really learned in school is more like a holistic perspective of life and what it means to grow up. And one of those people that exemplified that, especially in the seventies is Fred Rogers and something it's, it's something, someone that I still admire to this day. Um, Sadly, he passed away in 2003 and I would really love to hear what you think, or I I would love to hear from you uh, what your impressions of are of Fred Rogers when you first grew up, as far as when you first were introduced to him, um, what memories you have of him growing up and stuff like that. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood premiered in 67, 68. I don't remember the exact year. So I was still a young child, but we didn't have access to public television where I was growing up on a farm in north central Kansas. So I wasn't exposed to him as a child. But as I got older, went to college, you know, lived in cities where you had access to that, I occasionally would tune into children's programming because I was always interested. And I remember seeing it thinking, who is this man? And he's so gentle and kind and he's communicating with children uh, and he's not even in the same space with them. So he always intrigued me. Then when I became a mother of you and your sister, I let (laughs) you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And uh, well, actually, I had you watch it because I wanted to watch it. So I watched it alongside of you. And, (laughs) and, And there was so much about his demeanor, his way of talking to children, that was how I felt I kind of was anyway, and how I wanted to be with my own kids, with the children then that I taught in preschool settings. And then eventually when I became a child therapist, it was it, I just thought, wow, if he can make such an impact on children through the television, Think what an impact you can have with children when you're in the same space, breathing the same air with them. And then isn't it mm. interesting now today, here we are in the midst of a pandemic, and a lot of child therapists are now having to transition from working with children in their office space to working with them through the computer screen. That was a challenge for many of mm-hmm. them. And I've worked with alongside a lot of them trying to help them figure out how to do that. But we're like, you know, Fred Rogers can do it through the television. <laughs> Why can't we do it? today in 2020 through that. So he still has an impact on me. I I love to watch old video clips from his show. I watch every documentary that's ever been made. I've read every book I think that's ever been written about him or or anything that he wrote. And every time I read it, I re- I hear something new. Still has an impact on me personally, but on me and the way that I want to be with children and how I want to help other adults who work with children use those elements that Mm -hmm. he used that were rooted in child development. It wasn't just something that he pulled out Mm -hmm. of the air and decided to use. He really studied children to be able to understand how to reach them and communicate with them on their level. Mm -hmm. 
and for those who don't know uh, who Fred Rogers is, he was uh, based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He obviously ran the show. Um, he what he had originally started to train as a minister. Um, I forget what denomination, but um, he had uh, he had went in with that mission. Do you do you know what denomination he was training for? He's an orda- he was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Presbyterian. Okay. Yeah. And um, I thought it was really interesting how he put those dreams on hold to start a children's program because he had started to watch children's television because that was what his, I guess, market, quote unquote, that's a bad, bad term to use in, in ministry. But um, the he was looking at what children were watching, what they were being influenced by. And he was seeing that there were lots of slapstick comedy. It was almost vaudevillian in style. It it was almost like as if these adults had created this uh, idea of children's television for children without asking them what they wanted. And, you know, you saw lots of, you know, people falling down, pies in faces, stuff like that. Um, this is highlighted in a really awesome documentary. I, I would love to uh, have you watch, dear listeners, uh, called Won't You, Be My, Won't You Be My Neighbor that came out a few years ago. Pam and I watched it together uh, in theaters when it first came out. And I remember um, being able to kind of have a little experience with her as far as lots of revelations. And for preparation for the show, we did watch this documentary. Uh, Watching it again, were there any takeaways that you have that were like, hmm, I haven't thought about things like that that way or things that you changed your opinion on that you saw in the documentary that you want to share? Oh, well, there were a lot of things that I remembered in the the first from the first time that I watched it but I get so I guess what it really did was sort of reinforce some of the things that I walked away with when I saw it the first time and things that I also just have uh, integrated into my way of being with children and one is that we can help children get through difficult times when we allow them to be who they are uh, when we really listen to what they have to say and What's really important is that we as adults remember how vulnerable it is to be a kid and try to navigate through um, what, things that happen in the lives of children, things like pandemics, things like divorce and death and maybe chronic illness and bullying at school, whatever those things are that kids deal with and that kids feel things very deeply. I think sometimes as adults, because children are younger, we think that when something significant happens, they're not impacted as an adult is. But they feel things just as deeply as an adult would feel. If we write off children as not really being impacted by things, we're dismissing their feelings. And I know from personal experience growing up that when your feelings are dismissed, you don't feel very important anymore. And you might not be able as a child to, to express how you feel, have the words, but yet that doesn't mean you don't have the feeling inside of you. And I think that's what I walked away with. A reminder was of what? Always accept kids for who they are, what they're feeling. Don't ever take for granted that you maybe know more than they do about themselves. Nobody knows a child more than that child. We can know a lot about them if we're their parent or their teacher or a grandparent, or even when I was working with a child as their child therapist. But at the end of the day, nobody knows that child more than that child. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That that tone of, of 
reaching children, you know, if you don't, if you talk down to a child, a child will probably never learn. I don't think that will ever be a thing. If you talk to them on a level that you talk to them, I think you'll have more of a personal connection with that child and that child will almost idolize you in a way that they'll look at you and say, and think of you as a role model. And I think that's why a lot of people watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Fred Rogers had set up the system where he created, you know, this idea of you coming into his neighborhood and, you know, that was the relationship with him. You were his neighbor. You know, it wasn't, he didn't say you're my friend, but I mean, he kind of implied that in some way that he cared about you at a deeper level than just a neighbor. But the fact that you are in the same place, we're in the same world, we're all, we all just need to kind of do our part to kind of let the world kind of grow and develop and do its thing, but in a more positive sense. Um, so that idea was there. He also added for kids to to enjoy, uh, I guess, uh, the land of make believe. He and you know, all the characters of Lady Amber Lynn got King Friday the Thirteenth. Oh my gosh, King Friday. Uh, Daniel Tiger, who now is in his own spinoff animated series. Um, so those characters became extremely popular with children. There's even some footage in the documentary. Won't you be my neighborhood? Won't you be my neighbor? Where he. Uh, shows the puppets and the kids go insane. They love this show. You know, they love these characters. They're, you know, and they're hand puppets. You know, you see him take out, you know, Daniel Tiger from a suitcase. You, you can tell he's a fake thing, but he does that in a way that's transparent. He's like, these kid, these these characters are fake, but I will show them to you because you like them, you love them, and they they can help get my message across. And one in particular from the documentary that I take away is the the topic of assassination, where they talk about the Kennedy assassination, I believe, but they do it in the land of make-believe and Daniel Tiger is the person who's kind of more of the childhood-like character. And that's one of the things that I really think is interesting is Fred Rogers almost used Daniel Tiger as a character to manifest this childlike wonder that Fred still had, but he did it in a way that was almost therapeutic to him. He did it in a way that was more meaningful for children. And I think that's a really interesting thing to stand out because the, the adults, the humans that were in, in the land of make-believe, they were the one explaining it in a more adult manner. But they were showing what a dialogue between a parent and a child was to a point where it it became like almost like a carbon copy of what you could do at home with how you can talk to your children about assassination, difficult things in life. You know, coming up to a to this year, we got a pandemic going on. You know, it's common knowledge to most people, but how does a child navigate this? You know you know, they're being told that kids under a certain age don't have to wear a mask, but what happens when you turn that age and you have to wear a mask? You know, what what changes about your identity? You know, I think that's uh, something that needs to happen in children's television again. And I think that's one of the things that Fred implemented that still stands out to this day. Do you care to comment on that at all? I fully agree with Fred Rogers' philosophy that when feelings are mentioned by children by adults and they're talked about and things like well what does assassination mean and when adults go there that's a big word it's hard for children to understand but when we break down things in terms that are developmentally appropriate for children that they can understand then that says that all of that's manageable if things are unmentionable then that communicates to children that they're unmanageable I've worked with parents who were going to get divorced and they said, how do we tell the kids? They come to me and ask me, what are the words we use? They don't want to use the word divorce because that sounds so horrible and scary and awful. 
So they want to use different words. And I'm like, but that's what it is. If you don't mention the word, then your child's going to think, well, that must be a dirty word. That must be a bad word. It's so bad. We can't talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, does that mean you don't know how to navigate through it? That's how I feel mm-hmm. that children look at things. And I, I, I know that's what Fred Rogers was communicating by actually having topics on his show about things like the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, things like divorce, death. He touched on racism, didn't mm-hmm. use that word, but he, he, he addressed things like that on his show things that children needed to hear and children needed to understand. And he wasn't afraid of using those words, but then breaking down the definition of those words in ways that children can understand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a powerful thing that he did. And, you know, we can watch those old reruns over and over now, and we can still learn from that. And I've shown clips from some of those episodes when I work with therapists and teaching them how to be with children in therapy showing them clips of Fred Rogers talking about the death of a goldfish so that children can understand what dead means mm-hmm. and how you can help a child with that and how you can help the caregivers of the child with that. So yeah, important lessons that he taught that are still very important and not dated today. Mm-hmm. They're still spot on today because child development doesn't change. The way children grow and navigate through life developmentally cognitively, emotionally, socially, physically, all of those things can be delayed and they can be impacted by significant events that happen to a child. But children all still have to go through that. And so the the understanding we have of child development, child development can inform us and help us be with children, understand children, help children get through all of the challenges that life throws their way. So important. I I can sometimes just look at a child and by making eye contact with them, I hope that they can sense that Fred, like much like Fred Rogers, I like you the way you are. I don't wish you were different. There might be some behaviors that that child is exhibiting that the parents wish would go away. And I can certainly understand that. And I can certainly help the parents with, with that. But sometimes we just need to say to a child, yeah, I know you get angry and I know you do things that, that you're really not supposed to do, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person. You're still special and unique. I don't wish that you were different. Mm -hmm. I, I respect you and accept you just the way you are. And a lot of children have never had that experience. If they might have problematic behaviors, they might always be what being scolded. They might always be reprimanded. They might not have people who say, wow, you must really be angry. I wonder what you're feeling so angry about. Do you need a hug? Do we need to get a drink of water? What can we do to help you with, as Fred Rogers would say, what do you do with the mad that you feel? Um, yeah. And, and finding appropriate ways of releasing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Can you describe a specific moment in your practice where you've used uh, Fred Rogers teachings in a positive way toward a child without giving too much away, you know, confidentially wise? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Just generally speaking. When Fred Rogers would go outside of the studio and go to meet with groups of children, as mm-hmm. he often did, he would sit down on a child sized chair 
that's a powerful message right there. Mm -hmm. I'm on your level. And he was a tall man. That, that was probably not the most comfortable thing to do. That was something that I did when I worked one-on-one -on -one with children in a play therapy setting. I would sit down on a child-sized chair in the middle of the room to be near them and what they were doing in the room, things they were playing with. Maybe they were using the art supplies to create something. That was one really, really important message that I thought I could communicate to a child was, I'm on your level. I might be the adult in the equation, but when we're here together, we're, we're equals. I'm not more important than you are. That's a really powerful thing. You mentioned puppets. I used a lot of puppets. Sometimes they were just on display on a puppet stand and children would just naturally gravitate toward them. Oftentimes they would hand me a puppet and say, make it talk. <laughs> so I would maybe throw my voice, talk a little differently and maybe just have a conversation. This is my name is the puppet. What's your name? And um, how old are you? That type of thing. And then I would just kind of follow the child's lead where the child would go with it. It was amazing to me how a child may not feel comfortable talking to me, but how they would talk to that puppet. There's something about a puppet, puppet, a puppet that lowers children's defensiveness. And they and, and you mentioned seeing that in that Fred Do Rogers documentary, how when he'd go out and talk to children, he'd get the puppets out and how the children would talk to it. They didn't talk to him. They talked to the puppet. It's a powerful, powerful tool. Unfortunately, a lot of children today, I don't think use puppets. Puppets aren't something you see for sale in your big box stores much anymore. You just don't see them. Um, and I think that's unfortunate because I think there's a lot to be said with how, how children can even just use puppets in their everyday play and communicate with them. But you don't see that happen a lot. But then that's happened with a lot of toys. This is off topic a little bit, but a lot of toys anymore are very scripted. For example, it's an electronic toy, right? You put batteries in it, so it makes noises, it talks, it tells you what to do. You buy those awesome Lego kits now. And what do you make with the Legos in the box? The picture that's on the box. You make the Eiffel Tower, you make the Barbie castle, whatever it might be. Rather than just buying a random box of Legos and you dump them out and you use your imagination to make whatever you want to make. That's an unfortunate side effect of our world these days is that it, here's the toy, here's how you use it, here's what you do with it. I prefer toys and materials that are open-ended. They're not scripted. You can use them in any way that you would like. I think Fred Rogers kind of exemplified mm -hmm. that in many ways as well with mm -hmm. the puppets and that they're what they're open-ended and you can have mm -hmm. a conversation with it. Yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned it's a little off topic, but I kind of actually want to dive a little bit deeper into the toy aspect of things. Um, for parents watching or for listening, for parents listening, rather, are there three toys that you can think of that are currently in production right now that are at least are out on store shelves that um, are open-ended, like you mentioned, that are good for parents to in, um, introduce into the household? Art supplies are always a good one. Mm -hmm. Random art supplies. If somebody says to me, oh, I need to get a birthday gift for a child, what should I get? I say get a plastic storage bin with a lid, buy markers, crayons, paints, Play-Doh, clay, pipe cleaners, 
stickers, googly eyes, and these have googly eyes. Any and all things are maybe even throw in some recyclable items, paper towel tubes, uh, lids off of milk jugs, things like that. Put them in a bin. Give it to a child. Oh, and a scissors too in there, or blunt scissors if they're young, and see what they come up with. It's amazing what children can create using their imagination if you give them the materials to do that. So you can never go wrong with that. I like blocks. Blocks are not always easy to find in stores. Mm. You just don't see them. And, you know, they're not, they're not, there's what's ever on the toy shelves is what people are buying. So blocks don't always sell. Sometimes you can find them, but you don't see them as often as you used two years ago. Cause those are also like art supplies. You can build whatever you want. So look for blocks or those, sometimes you can buy those big cardboard blocks. They look like bricks, but they're made out of cardboard. Those are fun ones too. And then real life toys, things like toys, food, toy dishes where kids can play house or cooking dinner. Kids could pretend that they have a restaurant and they're making fast food burgers or sushi or whatever it is that they like. I think it's important to find those kind of toys that don't need batteries as well. Years and years ago, when we lived in St. Louis, uh, I was outside one day talking to the next door neighbor who had two young children. They were drawing on the driveway with sidewalk chalk. There's a fun one too. And I commented on, oh, that is so cool. A parent who's what, got their kids playing outside, drawing things on the driveway with chalk. And the parent said, well, uh, last week, one of the kids came to me with a toy and said, it's not working. It needs new batteries. I turned the toy over to look at what kind of batteries does it need and realized this was not even a battery operated toy. Oh, wow. And it struck me. My child just assumed that if a toy didn't make noise or light up, it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. That made me realize we need to focus more on toys and activities that don't involve batteries. Mm -hmm. That's why we're outside today with sidewalk chalk. Kudos to that parent for having that revelation, the importance of children having toys and materials that aren't necessarily battery operated. Now, I'm not against battery-operated toys. I'm not against video games and other electronic things. I just believe there needs to be a balance. Mm -hmm. Everything in moderation. We do that with our diets, right? We do that with a lot of things. And so make sure that children aren't only involved in playing with and interacting with electronic gadgets, but that they also have time with unstructured toys and play materials that they can use in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny that you had mentioned that what is on the shelves is what people are buying. Well, of course, because, you know, we're being told what's, I guess, the trend or what's trendy. And it's really funny you had mentioned that because yesterday I had a, um, I uh, overheard a conversation at a Target while waiting for an eye exam. I was like, you know what, I'm going to just go to the toy aisle and see what's popular these days. Uh, one thing in particular that still appalls me to these days is that they gender toys. You know, there's like Barbies all pink one aisle, blue with Hot Wheels and blah, blah, blah. You know, another thing as well as nostalgia, too, is a lot of parents are buying toys 
for things that they remember as a child. So a lot of millennials are now becoming parents. So a lot of things like Ninja Turtles are coming back, you know, stuff like that. It's all about adding, you know, putting on whatever character or whatever brand or trademark or identity from a previous, you know, existing brand. Uh, it's slapped onto another toy and it's cross promoted everywhere. And I'm it's just like this, it overwhelmed me. But there was a conversation I overheard from an employee and a, I guess it sounded like maybe a grandmother who was buying for their grandparent or grandson or daughter. Um, they were in the aisle, they were in the clearance aisle, I think. And um, the, I, I, all I remember overhearing her say was, oh, I'm reading this package here and I'm seeing it says, the, does this, 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 but what does it do? And I was like, does it? And then I found out, I went back to the aisle where she was looking and I saw what she was looking at. It was something that actually you put together as a child. So you don't, the toy doesn't do it. The child does that to the toy. I thought that was a really interesting thing. Another thing as well, I really think is interesting that that can also add to an experience at home, especially for being isolated. All the families are together, um, you know, maybe, you know, everyone from early generations to later generations, generation uh, baby boomers, et cetera. Um, games. Are there any good games that that a child could uh, get really quickly that a whole family could play that's really beneficial for for that child's development? There's a lot of good games that have been around since I was a child. They're still available, which tells you they're good basic games. Mm -hmm. You mentioned parents buying toys that they had for their own children. I think that happens a lot. And chances are good. If you played a game like Hungry Hungry Hippos when you were a child, chances are good your own children would enjoy playing that game. You get a game that you had fun with, and when you get down on the floor, you sit down at the table with that game and say, oh, I played this when I was your age. Your child will get excited about that. Same thing with grandparents. I, you know, I have, you have a niece and a nephew. Uh, the nephew's still too young to play games. He's just an infant. Uh, your niece, did I say nephew? Yeah, the nephew's an infant. The niece is fine. She's fun to play with. And enjoys those kind of games. And I love saying, oh, I did this when I was a little girl. And she'll, her eyes will light up. Really? Oh, yeah. And here's how we did it. Maybe it's changed a little since since I was a kid. They sometimes adapt games. But things like checkers and when I'm Hungry Hungry Hippos, uh, the game Trouble, the game Kerplunk, mm -hmm. Connect Four. There, oh, there's so many of those games that are awesome. I, I use a lot of those in child therapy. We would play those games. and. I would often kind of add a little therapeutic twist to them where we would, you know, relate uh, feeling frustrated when you don't win to feeling frustrated in the real world. And how do you manage that? How do you manage that when you play a game and you get frustrated and then applying that to real life situations to help children who are struggling in, in some manner? So there's a lot of things that can be taught playing games. I think having family game night is important. To, in families' lives. I know that everybody's spent a lot more time at home the last few months when we were all sequestered at home. And even now with things being limited, parents have probably maxed out on that. Everybody was doing jigsaw puzzles for a while. You couldn't even buy a jigsaw puzzle or they were charging outrageous prices for them. I think I know, me personally, I got tired of jigsaw puzzles. We were, <laughs> we were doing so many of them, but I think it really made people realize the importance of being together. Mm -hmm. And and being present with one another and turning off the, put your phone away, turn off the television and just concentrate on being with one another. Fred Rogers, that Mr. Rogers neighborhood, that 30 minute time block, he was with kids. 
if he could be with you through the television, think how much easier it should be for us to be with a child and fully present when we're in the same room, breathing the same air. And I, I just, kids love and gravitate toward being together. We get so busy in our world that we don't always do that. And, you know, when you could turn on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and there he is right there with you, wow, wouldn't it be great if you could flip a switch and your mom or your dad or your grandparent or your aunt or your uncle would be there to spend time with you? So as adults, we really have to make that effort to do that. I know so many families have told me over the years, you know, we really do need to schedule, you know, family game night once a month. But they don't ever do it. Yeah. They talk about it, but they don't ever do it because they don't write it down. They don't make it a priority. You put it on the calendar, make it a priority. When it's on the calendar, kids know it's important because that's where dentist appointments go. That's where birthday parties go. If you mark down family game night time or mom and, and Maria night or dad and David night, kids know it's important. Mm -hmm. And that's that back to that Fred Rogers of what? You're special. I like being with you. It's important for kids to have that sense of connection because when they grow up someday, what are they going to remember about their childhood? Are they going to remember those family game nights or are they going to remember the parent who was never home because they mm -hmm. worked all the time? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes parents have to but yeah. work more than they want to be able to put food on the on on the table especially in this time these times but i still think there are times when parents can find 15 minutes 30 minutes to to have that kind of devoted time that they give to their child to be with them help understand what they're experiencing ask them how they're feeling about things that's so so important i think a lot of families have learned that through the pandemic the mm -hmm. importance of being together spending time together, really listening, paying attention. I'm hoping that that's been a way for families to make closer mm -hmm. connections because that's so important. Mm -hmm. What do you think Fred would say about, this is a really loaded question, but what do you think Fred would say about everything that's going on in this year? And, and if he had anything to say, if he had any possible solutions for navigating it within the household? I think he'd go back to what he was always saying about, you know, kindness and being generous and, you know, caring about one another. I think, unfortunately, right now we kind of live in a world where we maybe are what more me, me, me focused. Society kind of goes through trends and things like that. So even if right now we're in a kind of a mode of where it's more about me and what I want and, you know, I, it's not that what we just differ on opinions, you're wrong and I'm right. I, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm old enough to know when we cared more about one another and right now it doesn't seem like we care about each other so much. So I think it would be back to the getting back to the basics of being caring and kind and being interested in other people. And it doesn't take a lot of effort to do that. I think he would just kind of keep reiterating that. That, that is important. It's important because that sets the stage for the next generation. Mm -hmm. and, and how do we want their world to be? Empathy. Fred Rogers never, to my knowledge, used that word very much. Empathy is not the same as sympathy. Sympathy is, you know, your friend's mother dies and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. 
for you. Your mother died. Um, that's sympathy. Empathy is saying, wow, your mother died. My mother hasn't died. So I can't really relate to that, but I'm wondering what, you know, I never met your mother. What would, what would you like me to know about your mother? If I met her, what would be the first thing that I would notice? Putting yourself in that person's shoes is empathy. Empathy is something that's taught. You usually don't come by that naturally. Mm -hmm. It's taught and passed down from generation to generation. If we don't have empathy for one another, which sometimes in our world right now, I think empathy is lacking in many ways. If we don't have it, that means we're not teaching it. And if we don't teach it, is it going to go away? Are we going to lose it? Mm -hmm. And that's what concerns me is if we don't have that and we don't teach that to the next generation and we don't model it ourselves, it could go away. I, I, that's what I think Fred Rogers would look at is we, there's a lot at stake mm. here, not only in the moment, but in future generations. Mm. So as a, as a parent of two millennials, <laughs> you being one of them, Sid, <laughs> <laughs> I would hope that I pass that empathy down to my children and that your generation will be able to model it for the mm. next generation so that I can say someday I did my part. We all have to do our part. Mm -hmm. Fred Rogers taught us that it doesn't, all it takes is your time to, to show some empathy, to show some care and concern and to help someone feel special, feel someone, help them feel that they're important, that they matter. Mm -hmm. I, I, oh, I, one of the drawbacks of wearing a mask right now, and I always wear my mask when I go out, people can't see me smile. Yeah. I love to smile at people. That's my way of communicating. Hi, hello, nice to see you, or just in passing, even if I don't know them. I'm trying to see if maybe even if I smile under my mask, is there some sort of a light in my eyes or a sparkle in my eyes that they can pick up on, mm -hmm. that they can see, that they still see that I'm what? I'm, I'm noticing you. It's nice to see you. Mm -hmm. You're important. You matter. I find myself nodding my head sometimes when I'm smiling under my mask. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's my way of trying to communicate to people what I could communicate when they could actually see my smile. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why I've been wearing my sparkle Sid hat more often out in the public because it's very, it's kind of an old outdated um, gesture is, you know, putting your hat on and tipping it off to anybody that walks by you, your path, just saying, Hey, I acknowledge you. You're in the world with me. We are living this world together and we're going through the same thing, the same experiences, but we were raised differently. And that's the beautiful thing. You know, we're, we're not going to agree on a lot of things, but you're in the world. I'm in the world. Let's keep living on. It's October, and you know what that means. Giveaway time! Hiya, darlings and gal pals. I am offering an absolutely zantastic prize package for an exclusive giveaway to my Instagram. This is the perfect surprise for fans of all backgrounds. 
It is a loaded prize package full of ABBA doodads and Xana goodies for even the most remedial fan of Les Deux. Included in this prize package is the 40th anniversary of ABBA Gold, featuring more ABBA Gold and a CD of B-sides, ABBA The Definitive Collection DVD, featuring all of ABBA's music videos, ABBA The Movie on DVD, Xanadu Magical Musical Edition with the soundtrack CD, Xanadu The Broadway Cast Album, autographed by artist and guest host Derek Bishop, the ABBA Gold Book from the 33 and a Third series, also autographed by our author and guest Elizabeth Vincentelli. Don't those sound exciting? Here's how you win. Follow at RealSparkleSid on Instagram. Tag five people in the comments of the post that you see and comment on your favorite ABBA song. Next, share the same post as a story, tagging at RealSparkleSid so I can make sure to count the entry. But there's a catch. I will only draw until I hit 500 followers. So tell your friends and tag as many friends for a quicker chance to win. Bon chance, mes amis. And now back to the show. So one of the things that Mr. Rogers did was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood set up a system for children to, to anticipate every day. You know, the same structure was still there. You know, he entered in from the left-hand side of the frame, just the way children would see kids reading. That's how people learned how to read in the, in the United States, left to right, right to left in some other cultures. So that's also something we should be also aware of. But um, the reason why it was so popular in the United States was because of that reason. You know, he had a system uh, where he started to take off his shoes, put on a new cardigan, and he always threw the shoe. And that was a little fun little thing too, a little whimsical moment for him. Um, and then you're in his, his living room and then eventually, to transition into the land of make-believe, you had the trolley, the, the famous neighborhood trolley that kind of had a life of its own. It even was a character in, in its own way. Um, and that's that it went through a tunnel and it went right to the land of make-believe to know that that place that you were about to experience was someplace different than the neighborhood. And that was a kind of a fun way to tell children, hey, this part is close to real. This part is, is completely believe and ma- imaginary, but you can believe and create um, a world of your own in this way by uh, exploring, by asking questions, by being inquisitive and being just having that that childlike wonder uh, and keeping it there as long as you can for the rest of your life. Because it's something that I think we all should have is having creativity, um, being able to have ideas. And if we don't know how to execute them, if we really believe in them, if we believe in them, we can find ways to achieve those goals. I don't know where this quote came from, but I've always loved it. It says, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. That's not a Fred Mm -hmm. Rogers quote, but I've always loved that. Yeah, that's a really, that's an amazing quote. Speaking of quotes, do you have any uh, favorite Fred Rogers quotes? Well, here's one. Being curious about things really helps us to learn. Mm -hmm. Kind of a little bounce back on what I just said. Yeah. It is. And I know when I worked with clients, when they create artwork and things like that, I'd always be real curious about what they made. Oh, wow. You used a lot of red paint here. And sometimes they'd go, yeah, that's a big storm or it's an angry man or whatever it might be. So being curious about things uh, shows that we're really interested in someone. So that's, that's one of my favorite ones. I love this one too. Once you get to know people, you find that there is much more to them 
than what you see when you look at their outsides. It's the heart and not just the eyes that discovers what's real about us. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And how do we communicate that? Through our actions, through what we say, through just the mannerisms that we have when we're with people. That's a favorite one. And then Mm -hmm. I have one all-time favorite Fred Rogers quote that's always been sort of my guiding point as a therapist and the person of the therapist who happens to be me. And that is, if only you could sense how important you are to the lives of those you meet, how important you can be to people you may never even dream of. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. So whether that's Mm. a one-on-one meeting with a person, whether that's a large group, whatever it might be, you do make an impact on that person. And you may never, ever know that. Over the years, I've done so much work facilitating workshops for therapists hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people who I have never gotten to know one-on-one. But sometimes they'll send me an email and they'll say, I know you don't know me or remember me, but I was in the audience at this date and this time and you said such and such. And I wanted you to know how much of an impact that had on me. So, I, and I'm like, I don't, of course, I don't recall that particular moment, but it just makes me be really even more mindful of when I do have that opportunity to communicate to people, am I really communicating what's important? Am I touching them where they are? You know, Fred Rogers said that he was not talking to any particular child or children when he did his TV show, you know, but that there was he always what? Oh, there's somebody out there. I'm talking to them today. Wasn't anybody he knew, but that, yeah. So you never know who might be on the receiving end of that and how something you say is touching them in that moment. It's, we have such powerful, we can have such a powerful influence on people that we really have to be careful of what we say and how we Mm -hmm. say it and what that communicates. And kindness Mm -hmm. goes a really long way. And I'm a big proponent of that. I I happen to think I Mm -hmm. raised kind children. I see it in you. You're Mm -hmm. kind. I'm proud of that. That means I I accomplished one of my goals as a parent to to be kind and to teach kindness and to express kindness so that my own children would see the value of that and the importance of that. And boy, I owe a lot of that to Fred Rogers. He taught me how important that really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the world that he created around him, um, uh, full of <laughs> amazing producers um, who were interviewed in this documentary. And also, a fun little fact, there's also a documentary on another character that's really popular. You'll probably know his name once I say this. Speedy Delivery. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. McFeely, Mr. McFeely. Mr. McFeely. There's a documentary called Speedy Delivery. Is there really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just I just recently watched it. And it's really interesting to see um, a different side of um, someone who exemplifies Fred's values in a different way. Um, you know, David Newell, who plays Mr. McFeely, 
he um he was working for the Pittsburgh station WQED, I believe, and he was the he was a PR person. So he hopped on board earlier on in the show to um to do mostly PR for the show. So that's where he, you know, started to do those gatherings for kids that you see some footage of in the documentary. But what I love about him is that he created this character and almost used his PR experience to to adapt core values that he found useful from Fred and use those in his character. Like, I don't know if you noticed, like, if you've ever watched early episodes, like one of the first episodes where, where he's in it, he's like, speed liver, you gotta go move. Like, he's like me when I was like younger. Like, he was like so on edge. He was always like super hyperactive. He was always moving around. He was always in a hurry. I mean, obviously he was working hard. But like you started to notice as like the show went on, he started to mellow out almost like Fred was from the very beginning. Like he almost like embodied like that mentality. And um, one of the things that's apparent in this documentary, Speedy Delivery, about David Newell and Mr. McFeely is that this is probably filmed in the early 2000s. So he's done a lot of he did a lot of um, like personal appearances where he actually puts on the costume and, you know, goes to do little tiny things like, you know, like openings of carousels at state fairs and you know um one there's a one moment where that he goes to a revolving uh, mr rogers exhibit and he um and he brings out characters and the kids go crazy for the characters but when he puts the characters on it's really interesting to see how he uses in daniel tiger in a way that's more different than fred does fred was a little bit more softer i could tell that david did a little more like like a little bit more like aggressive moves with David Daniel Tiger, but uh, the the fact that he um, loves he loves to sign autographs. Like there's lots of footage of him in the documentary signing autographs, and he knows the importance of a child meeting a character in real life of, from a TV show, and he knows that because Fred is gone and that he's not there to carry on that legacy. That David was a part of that, to and he feels like I feel like it's his duty to carry it on. But he comes from a way that's more like he uses systems of uh, public relations to uh, to keep the character and the spirit of Mr. Rogers alive. So he says speedy delivery a lot and he uses the finger and they talk a lot about, you know, why he uses the finger. One fun fact, the finger uh, is actually a, a personal. Um, um, I don't know if it's in the Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary, but uh, it's in the speedy delivery one where the uh, the point uh, came from a handshake that Fred and David did together. Um, there was a moment where I guess they were, uh, they had early on the show, they weren't sure if the show would last. So they're like, all right, we're going to do one more, one more. And Fred would do that for, to, to, toward David, be like one more, we're doing one more, you know, and that's, it stuck as like a, a common identity for him. And it added on um, another fun thing you can do with this documentary, because he's, he, he's so ingrained in creating a character in creating taglines speedy deliver is, is said a million times like i want to say like like within the if you had a okay if you did a drinking game where, where you <laughs> drank whenever he says speedy delivery you'd be regardless of how minimal the alcohol content is you'd be drunk within the first 10 minutes because he says it so much like in random places too it's really funny i think it's really interesting how he's using like outdated television production systems to create that legacy a lot keep that legacy alive but he does it in a way that's very patient like when he right when he does autographs you know he there's children that are like third in line and they're like already starting to talk to him because they're so excited to meet somebody there or wherever or there's some children that are quiet like there's even a kid that's kind of like off to the side like confused he's like 
is that someone that I know from TV? What's he, is he real? You know, <laughs> but there's a moment where he gets closer. He gets, he gives him this picture and then he just starts going off. He's like, I remember when I saw you and blah, 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 blah. And I also saw you and when you were here and it was, it was just the cutest moment. Like the fact that he's touched so many kids lives, even if kids are like, you know, like, are you sure this is a real person? You know, he's yeah. created that in a way that keeps the spirit of Fred alive. And I think he's one of the last living people who people recognize that, um, is hopefully still doing that in and these times. There were the name McFeely. That was Fred Rogers' middle name, which was his mother's maiden name. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind yes. of interesting how Fred Fred wove a lot of his uh, little what personal details of who he was into um, the show. Yeah, it, it it's um, it's kind of it's it's comforting to see that someone is still doing that and that. Um, his spirit is still alive. Families are still passing down his teachings and his shows as outdated as they may seem for children when, who are used to the, wah, wah, you know, like, yo, Gabba, Gabba, we're going to dance and go wah, really loud. You know, it's, it's nice, comforting thing to just kind of take it down to the essentials, back down to, you know, the essence of who we are and realize everything that we have created for ourselves in this world has been done by humans. Like every, you know, every building that's built, every television show that's being produced, you know, urban planning, even, you know, that is done by th those systems that and structures that we were put in place to allow us to, to move from one place to another, you know, roadways, mm -hmm. public transit, those are made by humans as well. It goes back down to the essence of we as humans have that innate energy to create something that, does the best thing that we think can be done for the better of mankind. And that is one thing that, well, that's the biggest takeaway that I've, I have from Fred, Fred Rogers teachings and from growing up with you adapting his teachings as well. They didn't come into play until much later in life. And I realized, Hey, she was kind of using that little tactic there from, and Fred, <laughs> Fred said that, and that was way before I was born, you know? So it's, um, I, that's also another thing as well. We need to, learn from is our elder people that are older than us. I say elders, I feel like that's a degrading term, but the fact that there's so much ageism in this world that we're, you know, there's lots of TV shows even pushing down the idea of like, oh, that's so old school, that's outdated. But the thing is, you know, we wouldn't have smartphones if it weren't for the wall telephone. You know, there's things that like that are outdated, yes, but that is how we lived, you know. And the great thing is is people are making things that are better than the thing before them to make things easier for us. But also at the same time, it can be detrimental. You know, kids are used to the scroll. You know, my niece Ruby, she she grew up with having her picture taken all the time. You know, I'm surprised she doesn't have an Instagram account already or something, you know? <laughs> it, it's like, it's a change of, of society that we can adapt in some way, but there's also some drawbacks as well. So we also have to find that fine line. But if we go back, strip everything back to the essence of who we are as people, I think, the world would be a better place. We would all be trying to work together in as best ways that we possibly can. There are still going to be bad people in this world, but it doesn't mean that they're always going to be bad people. They can always change if they decide that they, what they want to do in their life is, you know, right for them. It takes long, people longer, but um, I think that's the beautiful thing about our development is it, but it all, but it all comes down to our earliest parts of our lives where we as children have to also learn from the world around us. And that is just experiencing things as they are. And most of the time is that is around other human beings who have lived long, lived longer, have learned, you know, the stove is hot, have start, have learned things that are bad. But at the same time, 
children might have to experience that to learn that, oh, that, ow, that hurts. I shouldn't do that anymore. Rather than the parent going, no, all the time, no, all the time. What if the kid wants to, you know, learn how to dance, go to a dance recital, you know, or learn hip hop dance. That's kind of fun, right? <laughs> you know, um, how, instead of the parent saying no, maybe saying yes, but the yes could be for very, the no could be for various reasons. We also have to realize there's also a need for um, subsidizing things that are creative, you know, um, encouraging people to go to the library where books are free. Information is free still, you know, yeah. and we, and there's corporations that are trying to prohibit what we see or eliminate what certain things they don't want us to see. And I'm seeing companies like, especially like going into Target and seeing what the, what the systems they're using to adapt and change in the current society to try to sell products. The means that they're using, they're using like, you know, organizations that do psychological research and all this stuff. And what is it all for? To sell you products. What if we used the, what those corporations had and took them for ourselves in more of a meaningful world? It's a lot of extra work to think about, but if we're thinking about it in a way that's beneficial for others and not just ourselves, mm -hmm. we can go a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you care to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, well, it just goes along with having empathy and being kind and, you know, being respectful of others and respectful of ourselves. It starts with us, right? And, you know, having, not having rules that apply to only select people and, uh, I, I, yeah, you know, it starts with us. Each, each of us can make a difference one person at a time. You know, things do start at the top and then, you know, the leaders in our country, our states, our cities, they all have a lot of power and a lot of influence and set the stage for a lot of things, but we still do live in a free country where we're free to choose how we want to uh, live our lives in many ways. And if we all decide to, what? Uh, be the caretakers of our community, our families, make safe choices, be responsible, respect others. That goes a long way. And then we are modeling for the younger generation, the children of, of how we need, what we need to be, how we want to be in the world that we live in. There's, yeah, there's a lot of facets to that, it, but it's really pretty basic and it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't cost anything but your time to be respectful, mm -hmm. kind, interested mm -hmm. in other people and wanting to do the right thing. As I get older, mm -hmm. that's kind of what I always look back at. Have I always, have I taken advantage of every opportunity I've been given to make a difference in people's lives, to be a contributing member of society, to help people feel important, supported, encouraged, that type of thing. I think that's mm -hmm. a job we all need to take very, very seriously. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what I would hope someday is when I'm gone is people remember me as what, oh, she was so kind and she always had a smile and she always listened and she cared about people. That's a mm -hmm. good legacy. That's the legacy of Fred Rogers. I, and who I think if anybody is uh, wants to live up to that, wants to align with another person's legacy, well, there's a good one right there. There's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and leaving a legacy is one of the most important things we should do now. We should start thinking about what legacy we want to leave when we 
when we pass be further down on the road, um, closer to the work, to the road, as long as we are living now, what we want people to know us by, that is all that matters. And that is why I advocate for that all the time. I'm just like, you're doing this now. What, what is this going to do for you? You know, in your legacy, you know, and the great thing is about this is this starts as a conversation, which is why I'm so grateful that you're on this show because your experiences are something that I've learned from and I have cultivated from you as well as my father, um, who's also my That Thing You Do episode, by the way. <laughs> um, he, uh, you, Both of you have used your experiences together to, to provide that positivity of me and my sister. And I really appreciate you for that. You are a national treasure to this world. And I cannot thank you so much for coming onto this show. Thank you so much for your time, Pam. It's my pleasure. Anytime I get to come on and talk about Fred Rogers or just being kind and children and any and all of that, um, I, I don't want to pass up an opportunity. So I'm, I'm so glad mm -hmm. you asked. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping you didn't ask me just because I'm your mom. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you, <laughs> <laughs> you asked me because of, of my knowledge of, of the topic, or maybe it was a combination of both. Either way, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, you are very knowledgeable. And I do have one more question, though. Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> yes. Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Yes. We're all mm. neighbors, even though we don't live next yeah. door to one another. We're all neighbors. I think that's mm -hmm. a great a great way to look at it with mm -hmm. kids. Is it's not just the person who lives next door. Everybody mm -hmm. is your neighbor. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're all in this neighborhood together. Yep, we are. all that matters. Thank you again, Pam. My pleasure. Super Funkin' Serious with Sparkle Sid is a production of Vicarious Media, LLC. Starring and produced by yours truly, John Dyson. Edited and co-produced by Gabriel Schubert. For more information about today's guest or the media we mentioned in today's episode, please see the show notes in your local podcasting app or visit vicariousmedia.com slash podcast. This is Sparkle Sid signing off for another episode of Super Funkin' Serious. We hope to see you next Thursday for another fantastic episode of Cheeky Chat. Also, don't forget to be your funking best, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, beautiful darlings and gal pals. Mwah! <laughs>